I'm so thankful for Ms. Sherry and for all the people who have stepped up to give children's sermons in the last week. They have all done a tremendous job, and aren't we thankful for them? The parable of the prodigal son today hardly needs any introduction. Certainly not a joke, because I'm not really good at jokes. Uh, but it is one of the best-known teachings of Jesus that's inspired artwork and music and movies and stories for many, many years. But there might be a few things about the parable that we don't know that help us understand it in a deeper way. For instance, N.T. Wright in his commentary called Luke for Everyone tells us that this parable might not have been as simple as it appears on the surface. You know, in our modern culture, children routinely leave home to pursue their future. My son just moved to Macon, Georgia for this very reason, and we've been very excited about it. But in Jesus' time, this would imply that the son was not going to be around to care for his parents in their old age, and this would have brought shame to that family. In ancient times, when the father divided property between two sons and the younger son turned his property into cash, that meant that the land the father owned had probably been split in two and the younger son had sold off his half to get the cash to someone outside the family. Again, this would have brought shame to that family and it was akin to the son saying to the father, I wish you were dead. Understanding this brings so much more gravity to this parable. I can't imagine ever telling my own parents, I wish you were dead. For a Jew to have run out, run out the family money and be degraded to the point of caring for pigs, the least respected of all animals, that's a further point of shame. Thankfully, there were no cell phones to record this and no social media to tell all the world just how low he had sunk. The hero of the story, of course, is the father who takes to his heels with arms wide open to welcome his son home. And then he throws a lavish welcome party. The parable gives us a beautiful, vivid picture of what God's grace and love look like and of what Jesus himself took as the model for his own ministry of welcoming the outcast, the sinner, the last, the least, and the lost. We see an illustration of who God is when he celebrates people who turn from going their own way and begin or return to going God's way. Then it's the older brother that delivers the punchline for this story. He says, this son of yours, not my brother, but this son of yours. In other words, his father's son, as if saying to his brother, I wish you were dead. The older brother knows that anything now spent on this prodigal son comes out of what remains of the estate, which actually belongs to him. So that party is spending his inheritance. In essence, he asked the childish question that my little kids used to ask, what about me? I'm sure you've heard that at your house too. And he shows that he really has no more respect for his father 
than the younger brother did at the time of his departure. The father lets the older son know that if he insists on missing the party, he throws the prodigal. Because of his own jealousy and anger, that's up to him, but it won't be because he is deeply loved by the father. Miss Sherry did a great job with the children's sermon, and while we often think this is a wonderful story for children, children are sometimes as offended by this parable and surprised as we are. It's not fair, they say. They want life to be fair and are upset when it's not. And sometimes we adults think the same way, don't we? This parable teaches us that sometimes it's better to be loving than to be fair. The father certainly could have treated the brother in a more fair way when he came home and given him the response his behavior deserved. The father did not treat the son fairly, but with love, forgiveness, and grace. The older brother wanted the prodigal to be treated fairly as well, not lovingly. On the other hand, when we sin and fall away from God, we probably prefer love for ourselves, but we might prefer fairness for other people. Jesus reminds us that God treats all of us with love and grace, not necessarily fairness. The parable is unfinished, and it leaves us wondering about the rest of the story. How did the younger brother behave from then on? Did he live at home with his older brother and his dad for the rest of his life? Did the two sons ever forgive each other and reconcile their relationship? Did the father ever throw a big party for the older son? And when the father died, what then was left for that younger son? We don't really know the answers to these questions, but we can think about where we fit into this story. Are we the younger son, the loving father, or the older son? And which of these characters do we relate best to as a whole church? Now, we can all name someone else we consider a prodigal, whether it be a celebrity, a friend, or even someone in my own, in, I won't say my own family, whoops, Freudian slip, in our own family. The truth is, we are all prodigals at some point. We all walk away from God sometimes, wanting to be on our own, to do our own thing, without thinking about God or consequences or other people. I mean, isn't that what modern life is all about? What I want and what feels good for me? Apparently, it's been a little bit easier for people to walk away from God and from church during this pandemic, as evidenced by some of the empty spaces in the pews around us. Many people have made habits that no longer include worshiping with their church family, not just in our church, but all around our nation in all kinds of churches. The church is suffering because of those who have walked away, and our arms are outstretched and wide open, prayerfully waiting and hoping for them to return. 
On occasion, I hear about parents who have disowned their children or children who have disowned their parents for whatever reason. Poor choices, revelations, mental health issues, political differences, all these can bring about an impasse and create a prodigal. But thankfully, God never disowns us and never walks away from us. God's grace and love are beyond the limits of our own human reason, beyond our comprehension, certainly beyond our practice, and beyond the infinite boundaries of our own, or the finite boundaries of our own hearts and minds. All we are asked to do is turn. Turn from our own self-focused ways back toward God and God's compassionate, grace-filled ways. If anything, the story of the prodigal son and the loving father reminds us that no matter how far we stray from God and Christ's church, or how long we wander, or how deeply we fail, or what our choices are even in the meantime, we will always be welcomed back into God's loving arms. We will always be chosen to receive God's love and grace. We live in a world that has become increasingly grace-less. I bet you've noticed. More and more, you get what you pay for. You reap what you sow. One of our favorite sayings is, no good deed goes unpunished, and all of that. But if we are in fact Christ's church, what is our response to this teaching of Jesus in the midst of this graceless world? Where is the church in this parable? And what good news does it teach us about our call to be in ministry to the world? To me, the Father exemplifies the one thing the church has to offer the world that the world cannot get anywhere else and that is God's grace. According to John Ortberg in his book, Love Beyond Measure, grace is God's signature, and we as Christians are the ones called to keep grace alive, to share it with others through our joy, our acceptance, our compassion, and our embrace of love. Wonder, awe, courage, simplicity, Worship, servanthood, humility, and truth. The, today, these are all countercultural signs of God's grace in our midst. The world is weary of Christians who proclaim that they know the right beliefs and are committed to the right values, but in whom there is no grace. We are called to embody God's grace in the world. Grace can change our perspective. When we look through the lens of grace, we see beyond pain to behold the promise of redemption. We remember that the blood of Jesus covers us and others and offers forgiveness. This is true and available not only for our friends, but for our enemies, and often we forget for us. According to this parable, God looks at us not with anger, but with compassion. Maybe holding this perspective can help us 
look at others the same way. One of my favorite musicals is Les Mis, a beautiful story of grace and redemption. Yesterday I listened to it uh, driving home from Johnson City and sang along. Almost the very last lines of the song, are, of the musical are, to love another person is to see the face of God. When we love another person with the grace of God, we have the opportunity to see God's grace at work in their lives. Sometimes we forget in our day-to-day -day busyness that they have the opportunity to see the face of God in us as well. And believe me, the world is watching the church to see if it will offer them grace every day. Paul is called an apostle of grace because he couldn't stop writing about it. He understood that not only are we saved by grace, but we are loved every day because of grace. Grace is how Paul started and ended every one of his letters. It is his invocation, his benediction, and everything in between. Grace is what knocked Paul to the ground on the road to Damascus, what brought him to his knees over his sin, and what took his sin away. Grace was the light that blinded Paul and the power that removed the scales from his eyes. Grace is what gave Paul a thorn in his flesh to keep him from being destroyed by his own arrogance. And grace is what made Paul's weakness the very home of God's strength. God did not save me by grace today, only to decide how God will feel about me based on my behavior tomorrow. God's love is always a gracious love, and God loves you and me today, no matter what we did yesterday or what we will do tomorrow. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Grace is simply the free offer of discipleship. Discipleship is simply the appropriation of grace. You can't have one without the other. That speaks to me of why we need the church in our lives, whether we are children, youth, or adults. We need people in our lives who remind us of God's grace and our need for it. We need people in our lives who will accept us, welcome us, and love us, like Emily said today, no matter what. We have so many people, places, and situations that will judge us, critique us, and tear us down, that we need Christ's disciples around us to help us remember week to week and day to day what God's grace is all about. We need to be in the company of fellow disciples who will rejoice with us when we rejoice and weep with us when we weep. This is another form of grace. And we need the church to teach us that we are just not put on this earth to take care of and entertain ourselves. We are Christ's disciples, called to take care of all God's people, sharing God's grace freely and generously while we serve the hurts and the brokenness of the world. So if you have not been in church for a while, please know that you are invited to return to this family 
and we will run to you with open arms and look to you to teach us about grace and to join with us in living out God's grace. Amazing Grace is probably the hymn I've sung more in my lifetime, and you too, because it is pretty much the most popular Christian hymn that exists. It reminds me that grace was wrapped up in swaddling clothes and laid in a humble manger. That grace walked this earth and dwelt among us, had dinner with a hated tax collector, healed the woman who touched the hem of a garment, and forgave the woman at the well. That grace would not cast the first stone. That grace was nailed to the cross, could not be contained in the tomb, and now sits at God's right hand. It is grace that binds us together as the family of Christ, and it is grace that will lead you and me home for all eternity, where God will be waiting for us with arms wide open. How have you been a prodigal lately? Do you know that God is running toward you with arms wide open? God calls you and me to offer this same grace to our hurting world.